Hi, I'm Shauna Hockett. I'm Jeff. And today's reading comes from Acts 28, 23-31. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said this through Isaiah the prophet. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I will heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came in to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about Jesus, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I've always thought of myself as being a a lover of good stories. But I've been confronted with the reality recently that even though I do love good stories, I'm kind of a, a lazy story lover. Uh, I found that to be true as I've thought about it because even though I read a great deal, when it comes to uh, a story of fiction, I'll almost always choose a movie over a novel. Uh, it just requires less of me. It asks less of me to watch the movie. I've also noticed that... Uh, when at the end of a story, an author doesn't pull all the threads of the story together and wrap it up neatly for me, I get frustrated. I, I kind of want the author to do all the work for me. I would just like him to spoon feed it to me at the end and be done and move on. I recently been reading a book of essays by uh, various authors. And the essays are about the writings of Walt Langren, who is a pastor and professor here in the state of Indiana. Uh, the author of one of the essays writes that an old novelist friend of him told him that all stories are circular. He goes on and explains the ones shaped like O's, like the letter O, the ones shaped like O's are complete and well finished. The reader has little difficulty appreciating them because they finish by completing fully what they began. The ones that are C's, the letter C, he said, are often stronger and require more actively participating readers because those stories leave a gap, fully expecting that we'll fill in what they don't tell us. The best stories make us part of them. I think there's some truth to that. For a C kind of story to be a complete circle, we're invited to step into the gap, to be part of that story. And as I thought about it, I think that's true. When I'm not lazy and I choose to enter into a story that asks a little more of me, I usually find they are the best stories. They're the stories that I gain the most from. They just require a little more work. 
The book of Acts you could look at, and today we are going to finish our quick journey through the book of Acts. You could look at the book of Acts and you could say it's an O story, and I think in some ways you'd be correct. It's a story that begins with these words of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then Dr. Luke goes on and tells this story through the book of Acts of the messengers for God who carry that messenger about Christ and his kingdom out to the world. It starts by them sharing this message with all the Jews that were there in Jerusalem from all over the world who were there with him at the time. And then as the story goes on, you see many other places they're going. For instance, in chapter 8, you see Philip sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus, he says, with an Ethiopian official. And in that time, the Greeks would have considered parts of Africa like that to be the southern known parts, the very ends of the earth to the south. And then as the story goes on, the last seven chapters, you get the story of, of Paul in his journey from Jerusalem to Rome and Paul ending in Rome. And Rome in that time was considered to be the center of the known world. It said that again, all roads led to Rome. So again, you hear that story of Christ sending out his messengers with the story about him and his kingdom to share with the world. And you see the story where they go out to the world. It's kind of a full circle in some ways. But I think if you look closely, you'd find that it's really more of a sea story. Because the story really isn't complete. In fact, I think Luke goes out of his way in this story to kind of leave us hanging at the end. In fact, if Acts was a movie, I would probably be disappointed at the end. He didn't make it easy for me and just wrap everything up. You know, three quarters of the book of Acts tells us about Paul from his conversion to his missionary journey to, again, these last seven chapters, his journey from Jerusalem to Rome. And yet at the end of the story, we're left with Paul finally in Rome, two years in Rome, and we don't know what happened to Paul. The story just kind of ends. Nowhere in Scripture does it really tell us what then happened to Paul. We're just kind of left hanging. And clearly, if the mission was to carry the witness about Jesus Christ and his kingdom to the whole world, even though Paul's now in Rome, we know that mission's not been completed. The whole world has not had the opportunity to hear that witness by any means. So again, this morning I just want to take a quick look at those last seven chapters of the book of Acts. I decided to be gracious and not ask the reader to read all seven chapters this morning. Uh, that would make a very long service. Instead, you are going to get the cliff note versions of those last seven chapters. We are going to move really fast and scan over top of them and then take a look at maybe a few things we can take from them. In chapter 21, it begins with Paul with some of his friends about to go into Jerusalem. And a prophet of God tells Paul that when he goes to Jerusalem, God has revealed to him that Paul is going to be bound and hand over to the Gentiles. And Paul's response is that he's willing even to die in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's not going to slow him down. He's still going. Matter of fact, it says about Paul that the one thing does break his heart. What breaks his heart is not that message that he's going to be bound and turned over to the Gentiles. What breaks his heart, Scripture says, is the fact that his friends were sad for him and his friends were worried about him. It was hard for him to see them 
have to carry the weight of what was going to happen to him. But he still went. And as the story goes on, it is a story with a series of arrests and trials and false accusations against Paul. It starts in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the false accusation is made against Paul that he has taken one of his Gentile friends into the inner courts of the temple, which would have been a very serious offense. Uh, would have desecrated the temple in the eyes of the Jews. And so Paul was accused of that. That had actually not happened. He had not done that. They assumed that. But he was accused of that. And they drug him out of the temple, and Paul is out in the streets, and crowds gather, and they are about to kill Paul. I'm sure horribly abusing Paul at that moment. And the Roman soldiers see that and see the chaos, and they step in and intervene, and they pull Paul away from that. And so Paul is then arrested. The next day he goes be before the, the religious rolling party, the Sanhedrin, and he appears before them with trial of sorts and presents his case to them, and the case is made against him, falsely accused again. And it ends with sort of a split decision. Uh, again, because there's really not clear evidence against Paul, and so they leave it kind of with not a clear decision about what to do with him. The Romans take him back, and during the night they learn through Paul's nephew that there is a plot that's brewing where um, some have kind of conspired with members of Sanhedrin, and they are hoping the next day to, to take Paul and to murder Paul. Also, that Roman commander of those Roman soldiers learns that Paul is a Roman citizen, and he knows that Paul has to get a fair trial because of that. So they decide during the night, the next day, that they are going to take Paul up to Caesarea. Caesarea was really the, the center of Roman power in that region. And so they're going to take Paul up there to Caesarea that he can stand trial up there before the Roman governor. Matter of fact, the hatred against Paul, the animosity that was, that was brewing in Jerusalem was so great that that commander sent Paul with an escort of 470 soldiers needed 470 soldiers to make sure that he was safely going to get delivered to Caesarea. We arrive in Caesarea, and there he appears before the, the Roman governor Felix. And Ananias, the high priest, and his attorney come from Jerusalem up to make their case before Felix against Paul. But now they say that the offense is that he's stirring up riots among Jews all over the world. I'm sure they knew that that was a case that a Roman governor was more likely to give attention to because if there's one thing that the Romans were worried about, especially in Judea, an area that was a little difficult to manage, always kind of chaos brewing under the surface, especially there, the last thing they want is someone who's causing riots. So they bring that charge against him. But again, we're not really told that anything kind of comes of that. Paul just remains in captivity. It seems like he has a great deal of freedom. He still gets to see people during that time. But he is also under constant guard, under Roman guard. goes on for two years. After two years, Felix is replaced by Festus, the new Roman governor. And he appears before Festus, and leaders from Jerusalem make their case against him with Festus. And then eventually appears between, before King Agrippa, who's the, the Judean uh, king, who is really a king in the sense that uh, he was given whatever power the Romans were willing to give him. Uh, so not complete rule, kind of a client king. But Paul also has to appear before him. And the case is made against him before Agrippa. And ultimately, 
because the leaders in Jerusalem are still two years later fighting to get Paul brought back. Matter of fact, they have another plot to kill him on the way being transferred there. Finally, Paul appeals to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. They now had to send him to Rome to appear before Caesar because that was his right. And so the story goes on, and Paul is sent to Rome under Roman guard by ship. Uh, we're told the story of a violent storm the ship gets hit by, and that ship is about to go under. But God tells Paul that they will be okay. God is going to guard them, and Paul delivers that message to the Roman commander and to the sailors. And their ship eventually sets ground outside of uh, the island of Malta, and they make their way onto the island of Malta where they stay for three months. And they live for three months there. Uh, Luke, in the story, tells us that the Maltese people, he describes them as barbarians. But as the story goes on, we see that actually those people were generous and kind and hospitable. For three months, they took in 276 people off that ship and provided for them and cared for them and even sent them out with supplies when they finally got another ship to move on. So after three months, finally Paul moves on to Rome. And once we get to, he gets to Rome, we're told that he's allowed to live in a rented home of his own. And he receives visitors. And the story tells us that that goes on for two years. And then it ends. And if I'm watching a movie, I'm going, Luke, finish the story. What, what now? The Bible never tells us what eventually happens to Paul anywhere. Uh, early Christian tradition seems pretty clearly to tell us that Paul was eventually executed, martyred for his faith in Christ. Uh, many with, in uh, church tradition seem to point to the fact that, uh, that during this captivity was not when he was executed, that Paul actually did eventually leave Rome, went on to places like Spain and other places, and continued to share the gospel. But then he later re-entered Rome and eventually was re-arrested. And then under Nero's brutal persecution of Christians, he was then executed. But you know what? We don't know that from Scripture. Luke sure doesn't tell us that. He doesn't wrap it up for us. And I think it's because Luke didn't want us to feel that this circle was complete. I don't think he wants us to feel there's an end to anything happening here. I think he intentionally leaves it where we are invited to step in and now to be a part of this. Because honestly, I don't think even when you really read through the book of Acts, the messengers carrying the gospel are really the most important people in the story. They're really not the, they're important, but they're not the center of the story. Really on center stage in the book of Acts is the message itself the message that they are sent out to carry. And clearly in the book of Acts, that mission is not done. That message has not been carried to the ends of the earth. There are still many, many more in the earth and generations to come that still need to hear that message. The story goes on. And you see the message on center stage even in this story about Paul in these seven chapters. For instance, when he's in Jerusalem, Again, Paul's drug out of the temple. The scene happens where they're violently attacking Paul. 
And what happens when violence like that happens someplace? Crowds gather and more and more people come and crowds from the city all gather around. Eventually they draw the attention of the Roman soldiers who all gather around. And then as the Roman soldiers are taking Paul away, what does he get to do? He gets to stand before this very crowd that wants to kill him and arrest him and he shares his testimony with all of them in great detail. He shares the story of what Christ has done for him. How Christ, through Christ, he knows the forgiveness of sins, and through Christ, he knows new life. These very people who wanted to silence Paul have all now gathered before him, and he gets the opportunity to witness of Christ to them. The story goes on. He goes to Caesarea, and we're told that he has many opportunities to share faith in Christ with Felix and with his wife. Well, we know at least one, but we are told that Felix met with him many times over those two years. We're told Felix's motives were that he wanted bribes from Paul. It seems like he wasn't getting, so he just kept coming back. But opportunities again and again for Paul to share the gospel, to share the good news about Christ with someone otherwise he would have never had that opportunity. And you know how it is whenever you share with someone like that, they're never by themselves. It's not alone. There's always a crowd with them. Matter of fact, you see when he's sharing his testimony with Festus and Agrippa that eventually Agrippa's response is, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And here's how Paul answers. Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. And Paul reminds us, not only am I speaking to you, but I'm speaking to all these others who come with you the soldiers, the crowds who gather around, the other officials, again and again and again, they want to silence Paul. But their efforts to silence him actually produce a greater audience. He now gets to share the gospel with even more. On his way to Rome, we're told he stops in various ports. He's on three different ships, hundreds of, hundreds of sailors, numerous soldiers that are guarding him. When he comes to ports, we're told he's greeted by by brothers and sisters in Christ. And then again, they get the opportunity to see in Paul and in Christian community displayed before them, God, as Christian community does. They get to see in the miracles that are performed through Paul, the power of God at work in him on display through him. On Malta, when people are healed, uh, we're told the very first thing that happens on the island of Malta is Paul is bit by a poisonous snake. And then God protects him. Nothing happens to him as a result of it. Maltese people think he's a god. They take him to the, to the ruler of all Malta. And when Paul gets to his house, his father is sick. And so he prays over the leader's father, and he is healed. And then we're told people from all over the island come. And Paul prays over them, and God heals them. Again and again and again, what you see in this story is Paul has opportunities. Those who are trying to silence him just create more and more opportunities for the gospel to be shared through his actions, through displays of God's power. And you got to know when you read stories about Paul, it was being shared through his words, even more than the times we're told. You got to know Paul was speaking out loud about it. The message keeps going forward. When he finally arrives in Rome, uh, we're told that he witnesses to the Roman Jews. And he said, some were convinced and others would not believe. And then finally the story ends, the book of Acts ends with these words, that 
Paul's in Rome for two more years, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story where the message just keeps going out and keeps going out, and then it stops. But the mission isn't done. The message needs to keep going out. And I think we are all invited to step in and become a part of it. It needs to keep going on. Because every destination that message was meant to be sent hasn't been reached. We still need to be a part of carrying it. Now, I want to be careful here. Because I think you tell a story like Paul's, it can be pretty intimidating. It can be, yeah, I am not a Paul. That is, that is not who I am. Matter of fact, I, I'm scared to talk to anybody about anything that may make them uncomfortable. You know, just not that person. That's not my personality, my gifts. Well, I want to tell you, we don't need to be Paul. That's, that's not what we're called to be. Paul was a messenger, given very specific gifts, called for a specific time, on a specific mission to certain people. Paul was meant to be Paul. That was the job he was given, and God specifically chose him for that job. But I will say to you, we're all called to be messengers. We're all called to be people who witness to Christ and to the kingdom of God. Every one of us. And you don't need to be Paul. That is absolutely not necessary. And part of why it's not necessary is because the real power is not in us, not in the messenger. The real power is in the message. It's what's on center stage. Paul said in his letter to Corinth, I planted the seed and Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. If the book of Acts teaches us anything, it's that nothing can stop that message from going out. Nothing. We all have parts. We may be seed planters. We may be seed waterers. But ultimately, God is the one who's going to make faith grow. That message has power because of God. We just have to carry it where we have opportunity to carry it through our actions, through our deeds, through our words, through the displays of God's power in our own life, through the way we love each other as a community. We just need to keep witnessing to Christ and his kingdom as the people we are. doesn't ask us to be more of that. We're just the messengers. Matter of fact, when you look at these messengers in the book of Acts, they were few in number. They were people that didn't have political and financial power, most of them. They were people who were educated and uneducated. They were people who faced constant resistance and persecution. Yet nothing could stop that message from going out. The power is in the message. Now, I've said the messengers aren't the center of the story, but I do think there are a few things we can learn from the messengers. Uh, I'll leave you to add more applications, but I'll share a couple that I think uh, come out of this story. And when these messengers, I think, saw themselves as, as people just like the people they were sharing the gospel with. You see in them, they weren't looking down on the people they shared the gospel with. They weren't so completely other. These were people they entered their life, they cared about. When you look at these last seven chapters, Paul cared for the people that he was with. He sacrificed for them. He shared life with them. He entered in wherever he possibly could when he had opportunity. Because Paul ultimately was not selling a product. He's not a good salesman of a product. Paul is calling people to a relationship. He's entering into relationship with people and calling them to a relationship. Not a salesman. Called to love people, 
to relate to people and to call them into the relationship you know with Jesus Christ. And again, when you look at Paul and how he interacted in these last seven chapters, not only did he, did he enter into their lives and their needs and care for what was going on in their life, but he also allowed them to be important in his life. He allowed the commander Julius to protect him when all the sailors wanted the prisoners to be killed. God used Julius to step in and take care of Paul. He allowed the Maltese islanders to provide for him and care for him. Wouldn't have survived without them. Paul treated the people who he encountered with dignity. They were people who had something to offer him. And he had something they desperately needed he wanted offered back. So, there were people like them. Second, these messengers for Christ were often accused of insurrection, but again and again they were found innocent. You know, Bob said last week that as followers of Christ, we should expect that we are going to suffer for the cause of Christ. That is part of following Christ. Scripture is pretty clear about that. There are times we will be misunderstood. There are times we'll be falsely accused. There are times when people will reject us or turn their back on us. There are times we could be persecuted, and there are people all over the world persecuted, even today, for the cause of Christ. That is absolutely true. But I think sometimes we can twist that a little bit and turn it into every time anyone outside the Christian world is against us, then that's some kind of badge of honor. Conflict is always a a good thing. Matter of fact, conflict almost becomes something you should pursue because it shows that you're doing the right thing. And I want to say we're messengers. And a good messenger doesn't distort the message, doesn't take parts of the message out so that it'll be more appealing to the people they're going to. They carry the true message. And the true message will sometimes absolutely offend. We'll bring harsh responses. But good messengers also don't go out of their way to put extra obstacles in front of that message being received. They also don't try and stir up unnecessary defensiveness. Good messengers want the message to be received. That's the whole goal of carrying it to somebody. I want them to hear it and embrace it and receive it. Jesus absolutely says that blessed are those who are persecuted. But let's make sure the persecution is because we are serving the cause of Christ, not just because we're irritating sometimes. Because we are. Sometimes we truly are. It's not always a badge of honor. Uh, Conflict's not the end goal. The end goal is that the message might go out. The true, clear message of Christ. It's not our message, it's his. We don't need to change it. We need to let the power be in the message and let it go out. But let's also make sure that we are doing a good job of loving the people we are sending the message to, respecting them, treating them with dignity as we, as we pass on that message with hopes they'll hear. Finally, the people closest to us are often the people who are least likely to hear us. You see in Paul that he longed for his Jewish brothers, those with him whom he shared so much in common, to hear the message that he was proclaiming about Christ. But often they were the ones most resistant to him often the ones who responded most harshly to him. Jesus said in Luke 4, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And boy, we see that again and again with these messengers of Christ. And you know that. You know sometimes the people you love the most, you pray for most often, that you long for them to turn to Christ and know Christ because they are so important to you. 
Sometimes they feel like the ones that I just have no power to get that message across. The ones that no matter what I do just won't listen. It seems like I'm helpless where I carry the most sometimes. I want to remind you, I want to remind myself, that whenever we share the gospel with someone, whether it's through deeds or words or displays of God's power in our life or through the community that we live in, whenever we display and witness to God, to others, we are, we are witnessing to somebody who others love. We are witnessing to somebody likely that others are praying for and care about. We may be the ones who get to water the seed that they planted. They may not get to see that, but we get to be the answer to their prayers. It's a remarkable privilege. Just like we hope God is bringing others into the lives of those we're praying for and planting seeds and watering that seed for us and the people we care about. And one thing I absolutely know, everyone we share the gospel with is deeply loved by somebody because God loves them and wants them to hear that good news through us, lets us be a part of it. The book of Acts uh, tells a story that I think is a sea story, and ultimately, we won't bring that story to completion. We get to step into the gap and be a part of it, but that story will not come full circle until Christ comes back again. He's the one who's going to complete the circle. But man, we get to be a part of it. Whoever we are, with our own personalities, in our own way, and our own opportunities, we get to be a part of it. Let's choose to be a part because this is not a story for lazy readers, right? This isn't a story for, for lazy story readers. This is a story we're called to step into. Let's pray. And Father, I do thank you uh, that, that we have this remarkable message that you've allowed us to be a part of carrying to the, to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray you would give us the courage to do it when we lack courage, the words to speak when we lack words, opportunities that, that in some way we might be a part of planting a seed or, or watering. Father, we thank you for those times that we get to see you make faith grow and change a life. Father, most of all, I just pray as your messengers, we would be good messengers. We would carry your message, not our own. And Father, we pray that we would trust that message to do the work in the lives of others. Thank you that you let us be a part. In your blessed name, amen.